Hey everyone, welcome to the Successful Mind Podcast. Let me be the first one to wish you a very happy new year. We hope you had a very safe and happy holiday. And uh, we're here to provide you with a little bit of content. Once again, as I said last week, this is going to be part two of our best of 22 podcasts. So I've gone in and uh, we've selected the best clips that we possibly could for this particular episode, and we do hope you enjoy them. We can't think of a better way for you to get off on the right foot and set the tone for what is sure to be an amazing 2023. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into this episode. Successful people learn how to make their minds work for them. We are Life Is Now, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Episode 527. Think about what you're thinking. So when you're experiencing the same problem over and over again, or you're experiencing the same thought patterns over and over again, you have to ask yourself, why am I thinking what I'm thinking? Why is it that I'm constantly repeating this thought process? You'll also find it uh, a lot when people live in the past. You should be very concerned when you run into a person who talks more about the past than they do about the future. Because it's a representation of where they're living in their mind. That part of the problem with living in your past is it's never quite as you remembered. And we're always adding and deleting to it as we go, as we go further and further in our life. So how do we resolve it? How do we resolve the idea? I think the way that it's resolved is by conditioning ourselves to the truth around it. We have to give it a we have to give it a resolve. We have to give that thought process a resolve of some kind. Episode 530 Lessons on Leadership Hiring Humble, hungry, and smart. So I think that when a business owner gets to the point of they know they need to hire and they're they're ready and willing to hire, that they have a tendency to default to a couple of ideas. They'll hire who they like uh-huh. or they'll hire someone just like them. And the idea between hiring is that you want the best person for the job on your team. Right, just like if you were a soccer team or a football team, and I'm not a sports person, disclaimer. Um, but you know, really looking at well, that was an enormous paradigm shift that you brought to the company. Oh yes, to look at us as if we were an elite sports team, yes. and not a family, right? But an elite sports team. Yeah, and my job as quote unquote general manager coach is to make sure each position is manned by the absolute best. Yeah. Right? So a lot of people think of creating their team or, or their business as family, their team members as family. And I have to say that I really believed that for quite some time too. Me too. 
But the problem with that is that you don't put the best people in the position, right? Because no one exactly. wants to no one wants to fire their family. Nobody wants to make anybody mad at them. Um, nobody wants to hold a team member accountable or have or a, a family member accountable or have a hard conversation with them if they're not meeting their their KPIs or or their key results, right. you know, measures of success. So the idea is to to flip that in your brain to if you're a business owner, if you're or if you're a, a CEO, if you're in charge of hiring in the business. The idea is that you're looking for the best player for that position. I'm trying to think of why I like where my hunger comes from. And I think it comes from my childhood. Um, it was either, you know, accept the things you cannot change or change the things you can. Right. Like I couldn't complain about things like there. I didn't have an ear. No one would listen to me complain about anything. Nobody's so listening. it was, and my dad's a recovering alcoholic, right? So that's part of the, I think that's part of the serenity prayer, right? Like yep. change the things and accept the things that you can't, period. And right. it's also tied back to a Maya Angela quote, right? Like don't complain, do something about it or accept the fact that right. that's the way it is. Right. And you're, you're a hungry individual. I am. You want amazing things out of life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that makes a big difference. Yeah. And I think that's true for most hungry people is that they just really find a lot of value in doing a great job. And they also feel challenged by being hungry. Yep. They're not those type of people that, that like they're, they're people that get bored easily and they just want, they just want to do more. They want to be helpful. They yeah. want to see, see things grow. And you put a hungry person in an environment where there are other humble people and they get the appreciation that everyone wants and it just goes it just goes viral episode 532 lessons on leadership a players versus b players so what you want on your team are a players an a player is above adequate an adequate player is a b or c player they're that they show up they do what's necessary and they go home. They're not hungry. They're not looking at what they can be doing more. They're not looking at solving their own problems. They're not looking at solving, at thinking through solutions before bringing them to you. Yeah. So what generally happens is then the whole, the, the whole responsibility of company growth falls on the shoulders of the person at the top. Well, the person at the top can only grow the company so much by themselves. Right. In order to innovate, you need a lot of people with a lot of different ideas always looking at how can we be better? How can we grow more? Not just how can we stay the same? Yeah. And an adequate player is looking at how can we stay the same? Yes. And so what does the business do? It stays, stays the same. same. And and we actually know that's not even true. It actually goes backwards. It goes backwards, it goes backwards with the appearance yes. of just trying to, to keep your head above water. One of the things that I was taught very early on is that I sat down with my upline leader and he pulled out a deck of cards and he handed me the cards and he said, go through these cards and pull out the aces. So um, I thought he was going to play a card trick. I thought it was a card trick, yeah. right? So in, and so I'm going through the cards and you know, you go through, go through, go through. And there's an ace one, go through, go through two, go through, go through three, go through, go through four. And then he, after I got to four, he said, now put the cards down. And he said, how many aces are in that deck? I said, four. He said, how many cards are in the deck? I said, 52. He said, there will never be more than four aces in any given deck. And I'm like, I'm looking, I'm like, what is going on here? And he said, the problem with most people is that they try to turn every other card into an ace, 
He said, you don't turn other cards into an ace. An ace is an ace. It's a way a person looks at life. It's a way they look at business. It's their approach to everything. He said, but the reason businesses don't grow is because they spend all their time trying to take a queen, a king, a 10, a jack, a deuce, and turn it into an ace. He said, the key is, is you go back out and you look for more aces. You get another deck of cards. He said, if you want, if you want to build, because I had a goal, right? He's like, if you want this goal, you have to keep finding aces, keep finding aces. And he said, and aces will always bring themselves to the top and show themselves. He says, those are the people that get your time. Those are the people that get your attention. Those are the people that get your support. He goes, all of that energy has to go to the aces, not the other cards. Episode 535, a conversation with Kelly Bandis. When you, when you started off doing videos, being, you know, being funny, was that the intention to, was it focused on people that were having a hard time or, or what, why did you start doing that? No, not really. I mean, I feel like we're all kind of always having a hard time. Lately, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it was not intentional, but it sort of grew to be that. I'm, I'm someone who, I mean, you've read the book, so you know, I've been diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety since I was 12, 11 or 12. Um, and so I always find that's a great way to cope. And But I didn't really know that other people did too. So okay. what I've found in sort of building a community this way is... That's how a lot of us are making it through the day. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't the uh, the impetus for it, but it has sort of become that. If you could give our audience a successful mind tip, something that you do that works for you, that helps you, helps you grow, helps you deal with things, whatever, whatever you want, what would that be? I could give people one tip to help them grow and be successful. I think that I would have to say that you have to choose something that you're good at, but also makes you happy. You can't force a round or a square peg into a round hole. So I have tried many careers. I've been okay at them. I have earned a paycheck, but it wasn't until I found something that really filled me up and made me better in all parts of my life that I felt driven to do more. So I, I know that's sort of like a privileged answer because not everybody can do that. But I think if, if there's any way to carve out space in your life to find that something that really makes your eyes light up, even if it's 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, and you can kind of snowball that a little bit, I think that you'll find success and joy in doing that. Episode 542, Reverse Engineer Your Vision. When I worked with Proctor back in the day, he used to do a coaching uh, thing where he would say, you don't want to come from what you think you can do. You want to come from what you truly want. So like, if you just took all the training wheels off, right? You had the magic wand and the floating star. How far out would you go in your mind? What did, what would you literally create? But people would, would, would retract from that and they would, they would go to what they think that they can accomplish. The problem is, is that those are usually two very different places. Oh, 100%. I think a lot of people get stopped up, stuck around their vision is because they immediately go to how. And if they can't see the how, then they won't let themselves have that vision. So I got away this weekend and I have this great book called Vivid Vision. It's by Cameron Harold. 
He's supposedly the CEO whisperer. He helps people like really get clear on what their vision is. And I sat outside for maybe, I don't know, four or five hours working on my vision, like my specific vision for where we're going as a company. And it was interesting because I think I even had a misconception around vision a little bit. Um, We've been taught so many different ways to create a vision. Like, what is your financial goal? Is that your vision? No, that's a goal. Um, should I do a vision board? Uh-huh. Okay, a vision board's great for you, but it's not in terms of sharing for your, sharing with your company right. because someone else sees your vision board and thinks something completely different than what you see on your vision board. So he, he really comes from painting a picture of where you're going to be in three years. And it, it was interesting because as I was reading the book, there were, there were distinct parallels between what we teach in terms of gratitude. So... We teach gratitude in terms of being grateful for things yet to come. Yeah. Like, I'm so grateful um, that I have this, this, and this, even though you don't have this and this, right? right? You're like projecting into the future, being grateful for the things that are coming, that are coming yeah, toward yeah. you. So this is really about seeing yourself three years down the line and looking at every single aspect of your business and what you want to be happening in your business in three years. And... The idea behind it is that you can be cre- as creative as you want, that it's not written in stone, that just because you write it down doesn't mean that it has to happen. But what I found is that it opened up this, I don't know, this door into into possibility, into what could be without focusing on the how. I mean, honestly, we couldn't have seen five years ago where we are right now. No, so that's an interesting comment because before COVID, you and I were on a completely different trajectory, right? We were traveling all over the place, doing various different things, thinking we were building one way, think we were building a media company one way. I mean, and then COVID came and it changed absolutely everything that we were doing. Right. And, and I mean, we couldn't have, we just couldn't have seen that five years ago where we are right now. Nope. And he, he is really a big proponent of three years because you can see three years down the road. Like three years comes an quicker, fit. quicker than you than you think, right? But yet it's a long <laughs> yeah. enough time where you can see some some massive changes happening. So the premise is that you start with a lot giving yourself that space to really dream about what you want your business to be like um, and what you want to have happening. You take a look at what what the culture is gonna be like, what the vibe is gonna be like how your team is going to operate, what's happening with marketing, what's happening with sales, what's happening with operations, what's happening with, you know, all the different parts and yeah. departments. And some companies have more departments than other companies, but basically kind of an overview of where, like in the present, in present day, three years from now, what do you want to be feeling? What do you want to be experiencing? What do you want to be seeing? And what do the people around you, how do they want to how will they be experiencing you? How will your clients experience you? What kinds of experiences will you be providing for your clients? So that you can really get emotionally involved with that vision rather than it being focused on, you know, I want to build a big company and, and be making, you know, seven plus figures. Yeah. So it's it comes from a more um, inspirational standpoint where I, I can feel myself getting excited about thinking about it. And then the idea is that you put it together in like a like a packet and you share it with the team and everybody reads it together. And, and the idea is that when you state your vision like that, you either have 
team members that are 100% in alignment and it fires everybody up, or you have team members that opt out because they're not in alignment with that vision and that's a good thing, right? That's a positive thing. Right. But when I was when I was on the dock, um, I had I, I had I think it was a leftover goal setting process for Metropolitan Life. But anyway, it said pick a hundred, write down a hundred goals. Right? Don't think about how you can accomplish them. Just write them down. And I remember sitting there going a hundred, and I could only come up with three. I can only come up with three things that I wanted. And part of the reason that I was stuck was that I really. I guess I could not I could not separate from the how. I could in my mind, does that make sense? Like it's like why should I pick something when I have no idea how to freaking get this I'm just damn gonna thing? Fail again. So it, it I mean it was a I'm stuck on this damn forklift. It was it was a big stretch for me just to think about a house, right? Yeah. So and the 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 Wisconsin thing, if you remember the story, it was for retirement, right? So I was projecting sixty years into the future. <laughs> You know, with with that goal. But as I broke through, the vision began to change rapidly, actually. Episode 543. Are UFOs real? First of all, I've always thought that there were that there was there was life elsewhere. It just seems ridiculous to me that we would live in a universe that is so unbelievably large, vast. vast. Yes that we would be the only form of life. And I don't think that has anything to do with whether you believe in God or you're an atheist. I don't think it has anything to do with any of that. I just th- I just think that it, it's, why wouldn't there be? Like right. life, the the idea behind, see, here's, here's the way that I think about it. Life is not just as we know it. There has to be an idea or an intelligence behind what has created life on this planet. So why couldn't it happen on another planet? Sure. Right? So... That just seems to make sense to me, right? absolutely. Here's the thing about people who follow UFOs, and not to be sensitive, but they are considered out there. They're quacks. They're weirdos. Well, they're the tinfoil hat brigade. Exactly, exactly. They're debunked from from go, right? They completely and totally debunk whatever they say because they're a bunch of uh, of crazy people. When you watch the Tic Tac video and you start doing research on the pilots and you start to meet these pilots who are now coming out saying they were a part of this in 2004, you start to realize that they have nothing to gain. Bob Lazar has nothing to gain. And he even said on record that if I had a chance to go back and do it all again, I probably wouldn't come forward. Right. Because here's the deal. My life has been absolutely miserable since then. You go on his Wikipedia page and it calls him a self-proclaimed physicist. It, even his wiki page right. totally debunks everything yep. about this guy. And now in one fell swoop, he's been proven that these things are actually out there. And if you watch those videos and you interview these pilots and some of the pilots hadn't come forward, so they're like blacked out and darked out. Right. But now you can see them, the the, the female pilot and then the, 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 the major, I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now, but they are like, they have nothing to gain from this. And they right. show like gimbal footage they show footage of uh detecting and locking on with their infrared scanners and the speed at which these this tic-tac takes off would completely and totally decimate the human body episode 550 a conversation with lieutenant colonel scott mann i have a very soft spot in my heart for the vietnam population because i think we did them so wrong like what your dad and others went through to me is probably the closest to what you saw in the post 9-11 generation. However, remember that the post 9-11 generation were mostly volunteers. 
Right. And, you know, President Bush and I and I'm a very apolitical person on this whole long war thing. I think they were all equally underwhelming. Um, President Bush, if you'll remember, said in the very beginning, this is a war that's going to be fought in the shadows. Right. This is going to be a war against terrorism. So you're going to have a small group of operators and intelligence professionals who do the bulk of the fighting so that the rest of the country can go on about its business. I think that probably screwed more of our people up than anything was the disassociation of the emotional load of combat onto the shoulders of less than 1% of the population and their families while the rest of the country was business as usual. And you do that for 20 years, you that is, the, the load that that puts on any human is unsustainable and we're seeing it in the mental health numbers now. Most social scientists, David, will agree that for a liberal democracy to thrive, you need to have institutions that you trust. Okay. And you need to be able to trust their narrative. So, so at a political level, the media, uh, the military, the police, you know, those, those stewards of democracy, right? We need to be able to have these institutions that we trust. Well, where's trust in Congress right now? right? Americans trust in Congress. Where's Americans trust in the media? Ever since 1972, 1973, we've seen just a plummet, double digit plummet in those institutions. Well, there's been one institution post Vietnam that has really held the line through the global war on terror. And that's been the U.S. military. Episode 555, a conversation with Mark Polymeropoulos. So I like telling the, the, you know, my life journey. And for me, it was, you know, I, I grew up a middle-class kid from New Jersey. Um, I still have those kind of, you know, Bruce Springsteen, you know, roots. Nice. Uh, my, my dad was a college professor, but but in fact of the matter, my dad's a Greek background. So um, so we used to go back every summer to the to, to Greece. He had he had three months off. Um, it's a it's a great job being a college professor. So so the the so the first you know uh, kind of part of my my journey is that I traveled all the time. So when I was a really young kid. Um, and of course, my my entire professional career, I was overseas, just going to crazy places. But I think that what solidified it for me, and this is a great story, it was in it was in 1980. I'm 10 years old. My dad gets a sabbatical, you know, to go teach in the country of Algeria in North Africa. And think about this. And for any parents out there, would you do this? I'm a parent. I I, I can't believe what my mom did. She put me on an airplane by myself at 10 from JFK Airport, you know, uh, uh, outside of New York City. I flew to Paris alone, and then from Paris to Algiers. And then my dad picked me up and we drove 2000 miles through the Sahara Desert in a Volkswagen minibus, just sleeping in desert oases. And I thought I was Lawrence of Arabia. Wow. And from there, I was hooked on the Middle East. I wanted to do something kind of different and special. And I think, you know, that was kind of a seminal moment. I look back, everyone's got something. But for me, and, and I thought about this, you know, you know, when I served overseas in the Middle East for, you know, for uh, you know, uh, almost 12 years, um, because that was really a moment that, that really stuck with me. But I think that you know it's 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 just it's it's a story of um, how not to treat your people, and yeah. it's such a basic leadership lesson. And I, and I and, and, you know to, to this day, you know I, I've had you know several directors of the CIA call me up, former directors, and they said I don't understand why they didn't give you medical care because if they had, this doesn't get splashed across, you know you know every every media outlet you know uh, on the planet, and so. You know, it's just, you know, you live and learn. Um, I've had, I've, I've really struggled with, you know, that idea of kind of moral injury because it's an organization I still deeply believe in. I remember I did an interview one time 
and I think this was with with CNN, and the, uh, it was and Kylie Atwood, who's a fantastic journalist. Um, she was stunned afterwards and she had tears in her eyes and she said, how do you still like that place after how they treated you? But it's because I actually do believe in the job and the business. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lesson to this. And so, you know, if, if my being kind of noisy about this now, and it's, you know, I certainly have been over the last couple of years, if that can help someone get treatment, well, then I've done actually everyone a service. Episode 558, the hidden meaning behind complaining. So what's the difference between a complaint and verbalizing a problem? So verbalizing a problem, you verbalize a problem so that you can find a solution and it can change, right? A complaint is kind of like a gripe or the energy that you bring to it, right? So kind of, well, not, not, maybe not, maybe Maybe whiny, whiny. maybe, maybe a little whiny, but the, the, (laughs) the example in the book, and it's a great book. I really highly recommend everyone read it. Um, but the example in the book was you sit down at a restaurant and the server brings you your soup and the soup's cold. Okay. So you have two choices. You can either complain about the soup being cold to everybody sitting at the table and then not say anything to someone that could actually do something about it. Or you can just simply say, excuse me, sir, can I please have my soup warmed up? It's a little cold, right? That's stating the fact and asking for what you need. Right. Most people default to complaining around the table and then not saying anything about it, right? So. It's not that you don't address things that aren't the way that you want them, but it's the energy that you bring to addressing the things that you don't appreciate or don't like. And it's also about knowing that with every um, negative circumstance, there's an an opportunity present as well. If you complain, you don't see that opportunity. Yeah. It's a line to check out, right? Same thing. Yes. Yeah. But I noticed that when I went, when I go to entrepreneurial groups as well, like people will find something common to complain about, whether it's the travel, the travel experience that they had, they'll complain about whether it's the check-in process at the hotel or the dinner last night that wasn't, wasn't what they expected. There's always like this, I don't want to say always, but I've noticed that in many, in many ways, that's a safe way to start a conversation with someone you don't know. Yep. Is to, is to get an get agreement over a complaint. That's a really interesting um, phenomenon, actually. And the reason that I say that is because I think when I think about it, uh, I it was one of the it was one of the reasons why I was asking questions in life at such an early age because I was around a lot of people that complained and they complained about everything, and I was under the assumption. They actually wanted to change without, no, I really was. I mean, it was a very, I mean, I was naive because yeah, I was yeah. a kid. I mean, I was the same. But I was really under this assumption and not even understanding how much of that pattern I had taken on myself at that time. But still trying to figure out, you know, well, how is it that, that people could actually change? And when I started to learn And I would go back to individuals and say, listen, I found out this strategy or this thing or whatever to solve the problem. They did not want to solve the problem. And they would get indignant about um, holding on to whatever that complaint was in their life. And the more I I began to realize, like, people have attached this way of communicating to their identity. Like, it's part of who they are as a core person. Yeah. So changing it is significant because it's like 
You have to change your value system on what's important to you and consciously directing where you're going and and what you're saying in that in that direction and not getting uh, kind of you know edified or or having attention paid to you or acceptance um, through the mode of complaining like you're talking about. Because you're asking for what you want in a specific way. And you can't just complain randomly to someone who can't fix it. You can't complain to the person sitting across from you to fix the cold soup. They can't do anything about it. Unless it's species why. Yeah. You can ask the individual who brought you the yes. soup to fix yes. it. So I love that. But just one more thing before we go, and I know we're really short on time, but I cannot get over this. I was doing some searching as you guys were on here and I was learning about this group. They looked at 80,000 negative reviews online. They went through and actually did some research on this. And they came up with a list of the number one male name and the number one female name that is most likely to give a one star review. Anybody have any guesses? Oh my gosh. To give no. a one, no, one no star idea. review. Oh so, well, first of all, most people out there have heard of the phrase Karen, right? So yeah. Karen is supposedly, yeah. that's, that's an individual who always is complaining about something, this middle-aged person. That. Yeah, I do I too. So many good I know so many I lovely Aunt Karens. Karen. Uh, so Karen wonderful. is not the number one person. Uh, on this list who is the complainer it's actually sarah is most likely to leave a number one complaint not our sarah murphy of course our no. director of sales but sarah is the number one female and she that, comes on number male? 10. um i'm afraid i don't want to say it out loud just say it well he just talked david <laughs> david I've never but left a complaint online. It's not you, David. It's other it Davids. The You're the perfect David. David. But again, re they're remember, also, they're also this, really popular. It's such a names. common name. Yeah. I mean, David yeah. and Paul and John and Chris. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. these are they're these are names. Popular. Brandon's not on the list because there's like 12 of us out there right now. But the reality <laughs> is, it's David, and I cannot get enough of it. Episode 561 is bragging in business bad. What we notice with a lot of business owners is that they keep themselves pretty well hidden and they do it under the, they, they do it with one of the excuses as, well, I don't want to, I don't want to self-promote. I don't want to brag. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to seem conceited. Well, it, you know, it is an interesting, it is an interesting phenomenon. And of course, this is one of the values that is completely different when you become an entrepreneur than when you're working for someone else. There, there's so many areas that we could go with this because everything that we learn as um, an employee for someone is really designed to keep us safe and to keep that employment. Yeah. Right. So when you're when you're employed, everybody should really think about this for a moment. When you're employed by somebody else, there's kind of this unwritten rule that you don't you don't outshine your boss. You don't outshine the owner, right? You, you play the role, right? You can shine in your role, but you don't outshine anybody else. You stay within, you stay within the construct of, of whatever that is. I've watched people get fired for doing that specifically. I've seen people get fired. For I, outshining? For outshining. That's true in families too. Yep, absolutely. Right? Like oh, well, that's where I was going. Okay, that, yeah, sorry. That, jumped no, ahead on you. That's okay. That's okay. So it's a, I was going to say, where does this come from, right? There's the whole pecking order within families, and uh, it causes major problems. So we're this idea is ingrained that here's who you are, here's the role that you're in, and don't step outside of that role, and you get 
you get shamed, you get guilted, you get ridiculed, you get made fun of. All different kinds of things to keep you within the, the constraint of this is who you are. And, it, and it's a double-sided coin, I, I think, because not only is it uncomfortable for that person to break out, but it also becomes very uncomfortable for the people that are around them. If you step out of the role of who everybody else thinks you're supposed to be, it becomes very uncomfortable for those people. It's like this. It's like the adage where we talk about where the moment you start to change everybody else, you force everybody else to change. They yes. have to adapt to the change. Yes. And if they're uncomfortable, then that's where this this uh, uh, res- this response comes to push you back down into that place. Like, how dare you? But I think as entrepreneurs, you, you've got to realize that you need to rise above that, right? And that when you share a client win, it's actually not bragging. No, it's not at all. It, it, it's just not. It's not. It's, it's sharing stories. Even so that, if you're sharing your own win, it's not bragging. No. I mean, it's, it's so fascinating to me because, and this, this happens every time we do a 90-day cohort of our Elite Mind 90-day program. At the very last session, at the 90 days, it's kind of an open forum where we, mm. where we say, this is for you. Come, share your wins. Share what you learned, right? Yeah. And it is amazing to me the wins that they've had and the awarenesses that they've had that they've not shared. Like we have an entire Facebook group. We're constantly saying, hey, share your wins. Let's, let's help celebrate you. And they don't. And then they wait until, okay, this is the time. We want to hear your wins. Come to this with the win. And then we right. hear all these amazing things and we're just like, wow. Yep. You, you didn't allow anyone to celebrate you when this was actually happening. Yeah. Like that's kind of sad to me. It is. From all of us here at the Successful Mind Podcast, we wanted to thank you for an amazing 2022. And we hope that in the new year ahead, that you get everything that your heart desires over the course of this next year. We're so excited to be a part of your journey. And we hope that you continue to take us with you everywhere you go, share us with your friends, and continue to keep putting one foot in front of the other. That's what the Successful Mind Podcast is all about. So once again, Happy New Year to you, and we can't wait to see you again next week for the Successful Mind Podcast. Here's to an impactful 2023. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. If you like what you've heard and you want to know more, go to lifeisnowinc.com.